Welcome to the PCS to Corporate America podcast from Cameron Brooks. Our mission here at Cameron Brooks is to help educate junior military officers about their transition options and to inspire veterans to transform their lives and their careers. All right, welcome everyone. Um, excited for this episode. So my intention for this episode was to bring in someone with a little bit more of a technical background to help some of the those who have technical aptitude or maybe a technical background who want to explore the category of engineering management. I wanted to bring someone that, um, that I worked with five years ago, someone that I have fond memories of and, and a relationship was built. Um, and, and when I invited our guest, I didn't realize that we actually um, three years ago had already done a podcast with him. I didn't do the podcast, but Joel did the podcast. So um, this is fun because you can go back and go um, reference episode 82. If you haven't already listened to it, reference, reference 82 uh, from October of 2019. And so it's my uh, very special, uh, or it's my pleasure to w- welcome our very special guest back to the podcast, Chas Hoskins. Chas, how you been? Great, Pete. Thanks for having me. Love it. So um, when you and Joel had, you did a podcast with Joel back in, uh, in 2019. So you introduced yourself, but some people haven't, haven't heard that podcast, although now I really want them to go back and listen to it. But do me a favor, if you would, because I want the, the thrust of this podcast to be focused on helping people who have that technical interest who have that technical aptitude or have that technical background, just tell us a little bit about what you did as a developmental engineer in the Air Force. Give us a sense of where you came from in the military. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I, I was in for 10 years. Um, when I started out, um, I was that was when I did, uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to do a lot of um, analytical work, uh, which was, you know, very, I felt like it was a really good uh, engineering gig. What we were doing there was um, I was an anal- a data analyst for okay. um, essentially a really, really expensive uh, and really um, high tech, uh, t- you know, cutting edge, top of the line target practice. Um, so basically we would rotate all the fighter squadrons um, through our squadron. We would host them. Um, we would load up their jets with uh, air-to-air missiles and go kill some drones out over the gotcha. Gulf. And um, while we were doing that, we would, um, so in order to maximize the value, if you will, of each one of our test missions, so part of it was the pilot got live fire training experience, which is good for the pilot. Um, but in order to increase the value of, of what we were doing, we would replace the warheads with uh, telemetry kits. Telemetry kit is just uh, connected to everything that's uh, being processed inside the weapon. And then uh, beaming that information down to us, that data. And then it was my job to go through that um, data using uh, customs scripts um, to figure out what happened, what actually happened with this uh, individual missile shot. Did it see the target? Did it get fooled by EA 
or electronic attack. There I go again with my old uh, military acronyms. Don't do that in interviews. Right. It's uh, not good for you. <laughs> right. There you go. Right. Uh, but, uh, uh, but so that, that was, uh, and then I would um, debrief the pilots uh, a couple hours after they would land and tell them yeah. and explain to them what happened. And so it was a really good experience for me. Um, and, and us, those of us who, you know, um, served in this role, um, because you're, you have to explain something that's technically complex to some non-technical people, really. I mean, pilots, they, they're pretty technical, but, um, not as deep into the, into how a missile works or is supposed to work. So, um, it was, it was a great experience, you know, writing code, editing code, um, yep. you know, rolling with the changes as we're shooting new uh, types of weapons. And then yeah. um, being able to communicate that clearly, it's a really, it was a really good, you know, growth opportunity for me. Um, great way to start my engineering career. Uh, let, me, let me ask you this, because you have, so you have an undergraduate degree in aerospace, aerospace engineering, you have a master's degree in aerospace engineering, you have a master's of business administration, uh, and you earned your PMP along the way. And so where does writing code as a development engineer fit into any or some of that? Like with all your degrees, tell me more about your um you know, tell me how that fits into what you were doing in the Air Force. Maybe it doesn't fit in. Maybe that was something completely new and brand new. Oh, uh, you're you're asking how how was our code like in detail? How are we using code on the job in that in that role? Well, that more more I'm asking like so you've got two aerospace degrees and in an NBA. Did those oh. play a role into some of the work that you were doing in the Air Force? Uh, yeah. Um, so, so in that first assignment, you know, yeah, absolutely. I was, I was writing code, uh, you know, as an undergrad, doing a little bit of MATLAB, doing a little bit of, uh, let's see, uh, C++ programming languages. Yeah. Those, those are my two yeah. programming languages at the time. But, uh, you know, then, you know, uh, I ended my career in the research in, with AFRL and AFIT. Um, working with them. And that was when I was really getting really, really deep into writing um, analysis program, computer programs to do some really, really um, heavy technical and analytical gotcha. lifting. Yeah. Okay. So, so when you made the move to LAM, well, actually, just just to refresh those who have not already heard the story, tell tell us who Lam is. Sure. Yeah. So so Lam. Um, so we all depend on uh, semiconductors. Semiconductors are computer chips. Um, I it's I'm sure everyone understands how dependent we all are on this industry. What Lam? How Lam? Lam is foundation. What Lam does for the semiconductor industry is completely foundational. Um, they're not themselves making chips like uh, Intel, but uh, Intel is buying Lamb's products and using those, using this extremely sophisticated equipment uh, to make their chips. And it's not like you're, an, you're kind of a, 
a little supplier to Intel or Samsung or TSMC or all these other chip makers. You, yeah. It's like the, it's like the big, it's okay. If you want to think of it, here's an analogy. Um, it's like selling Domino's pizza, their pizza ovens. All right. So, so you step into the role and you're a pilot manufacturing engineer, or at least that's what your LinkedIn profile says. Right. Actually, you know what, before we go there, actually, let's back up a little bit. So Lamb is the company that makes the machines, that makes the chips. But when you came to the conference, you had other options as well. Yes. You had received, you, you, you teed up 15 interviews. The most of those were interested in pursuing you in the follow-up interview process. I'm sitting here looking, believe it or not, I'm looking at your at nice. your your file from yeah that's right from the conference and so you had options Chaz why did you ultimately choose Lamb what was it about them above any other option you you did or could have pursued that attracted you most now, as a matter of fact if I'm and just looking at your file here it looked like they were your number one company from the conference but but maybe not but tell me. Tell me what was most attractive to you at that point in your life as you're going through the process. So the there were a few things that um, made them stand out to me. Number one was I, I felt like uh, I wanted to be in an industry where they're doing hard uh, technical things. Um, and I, I really got that sense from them. But, you know, the I, I was listening to... Um, I have listened to quite a few Cameron Brooks podcasts and there was someone who made a really great point. Once uh, the guy was like a brand manager for like a cereal company. It was like general yeah. mills or something. And yeah. he, he said, he said uh, something like, you know, uh, you can do a lot of really cool, uh, technical, clever problem solving um, without being in an in industry like that, because sometimes you're just looking for a way to reduce costs on a product that is low tech, but that solution usually ends up being really, really high tech. And I, I thought that was a great point. It was really interesting. And it, it helped me at the conference kind of be open to all of the people I was interviewing with. Um, okay. So I kept that in mind, but uh, you know, Lamb is, it, Maybe it wasn't so much that they're doing the hard technical things, which I think they're doing everywhere, like that guy said. Um, I think what really appealed to me was I just felt like this is a really, really important industry to the world, the semiconductor industry, and, um, that, and that it's, that it's going to probably be really secure. It's probably going to really pay well um, and, and these kinds of things. So that was one of the things that attracted me to it. And then the other thing that attracted me to it was, um, when I was interviewing with Kerwin, uh, the guy, that guy and I just, just really clicked. And I felt like, uh, mm -hmm. you know, we got along really well. Um, he retired not too long, unfortunately, after I joined Lamb, but, um, right. yeah, he, he was great. We had really good chemistry, you know, two ways. And I felt like he he saw he saw something in me that I know is there, and I I was glad that he you know could appreciate that. And I was like, this is a good guy. Uh, I want to work with people like this. So one of the things that I talk a lot about this is really a recurring theme, not only in this podcast but really in a lot of the conversations that I have is you know 
we, we talk a lot about engineering management or business analysis or team leadership or sales or whatever it is. If you remember those conversations, I'm sure you do. But, but it's funny, like you, you ultimately made the choice and I'm looking at who you interviewed with and it's multi-industry, multi-functional types of roles that you were, you were looking at, all kinds of things basically. Um, so you didn't come to me saying I wanted semiconductor or I wanted to, wanted to interview with a guy like Kerwin right? Like that, right. that process occurred in the moment. And I think a lot of people lose sight of that very important point when you're doing a career search, like, like industry, perhaps, you know, functional job perhaps is, is important. But, it, but you just said to me, you made a decision based on a company you probably hadn't heard of before the conference, right? And you made, oh, and another reason you made the decision, because the person who you were going to work for you guys just connected. The chemistry yeah. was there and you compared a lot of things, but ultimately made the choice based on some of the factors that are a little unpredictable when you're upstream in the process. Does that feel comfortable? Does that feel right? Yeah. Uh, I took something from uh, your guys' book to heart, uh, which was that like 80% or something, I, don't, I, may, I might be forgetting what the figure was, but most commerce is business to business. And what that means for those of us who are, you know, coming out of the military, that unless you've dealt with them uh, in your military time, there's a ton of companies you've just never heard of that, you know, it's, it's that business to business thing. They're not going straight right. to you as a consumer. So, of course, you haven't heard of them. So I thought right. that was a really good point, and I, I kept that in mind um, yeah. at the conference. And um, I, I treated the conference like a game where my objective was to get the most points by getting the most, uh, you know, people who are interested in following up with me. And right. I think I know that that kind of thinking appeals to a lot of people in the military because, you know, we're all kind of com competitive folks. And yeah. Yeah. A lot of well, us and, and the other thing it ultimately did is it gave you some, it gave you choices. It gave you the ability. And then I'm, again, I'm looking at your schedule. I'm not going to mention companies names because that wouldn't be fair, but I know you've heard of more than one company, you know, but I guess yeah. the point is you, you, some of the companies you interviewed with, you'd heard of, they were more household names. But yeah. also to your point, you didn't know who Lamb was because they don't sell semiconductor or semiconductor yeah. machines to you and me. We have no right. interest yeah. in, the, we have no need for those in our home type right. of thing, I guess. You know what I mean? We don't have, we don't need pizza oven. Well, we do need pizza oven in our home, but we don't need chip, <laughs> chip uh, in our home. All right. right so. So let's just refresh. Let's pick up the story. Since you already told Joel in episode 82 a, a little bit about what you did, we won't spend a lot of time there, but maybe just a little, just refresh us. Like, tell us what that first job at LAM was like. You spent, according to LinkedIn, you spent two and a half years there. So what'd you do? What, you, what were you responsible for? How'd you grow in that role? And then let's talk about making the move to where you are now, because because we, we haven't heard that part of the story yet. So maybe just update us a little bit on the past, okay. some of what you told Joel already, and then let's talk about where you are now. Okay. Yeah. So I, uh, I joined LAM as a pilot manufacturing engineer. 
So let's uh, let's break that break up that term a little bit. Um, a menu. What a manufacturing engineer does is uh, make make sure the design is uh, stable enough to support lean manufacturing, lean production. Making because that lean thing is key because if you're um, not producing parts or producing your product on schedule you're going to be missing revenues and that's what we call an opportunity cost in the corporate world which is uh uh can add up to quite a lot of money the i won't get into the dollar values that lamb's manufacturing system pumps out on an hourly basis but it's huge so uh, there's a lot of work that needs to be done to make sure that everything is smooth, that every every box is checked, so to speak, you have um, uh, supply supply chains are stable, um, things are of good quality. There's a backup plan if you get a defective uh, component that needs to be installed. Um, safety implications, uh, cost implications, all these things that uh, you have to make sure are squared away to support that lean uh, operation. So that's what a manufacturing engineer does in a nutshell. Oh, and I, I should also say a huge part of the job is uh, all the documentation on uh, procedures for doing right. the manufacturing. So you're authoring, the, the core thing that you're doing is um, squaring away those procedures, writing those procedures yourself, validating it, them, making sure they're good. You, you don't just do it, um, you know, from your basement office and then say you're good. You have to, you know, you, you write the first draft and then you go test it out on the floor, um, having a lot of good contacts uh, with some of the technicians and operators and machinists and making sure that passes the sanity check and it's not gonna be a problem. Um, so that's what a manufacturing engineer does in a nutshell. The other term is yeah. pilot. So pilot is the pilot line. Um, so when LAM is developing their newest, latest and greatest uh, products, um, before it goes to the lean line, it uh, goes onto the pilot line for a little bit of risk reduction. So the cool thing about being a pilot manufacturing engineer is you're uh, playing a key role. You're sort of the master orchestrator of the first build of the newest design that's going to help the business, the, the overall company compete. So that was really cool. Um, just being able to work on the bleeding edge of the world's technology and LAM is a world-class company. Go ahead and check out our stock price and you'll see, okay, we're down a little this year, but um, since I joined five years ago, it's tripled in value and it, yeah. it speaks to what service we provide the world. And, you know, um, what we did for the world during the pandemic was pretty, pretty uh, impressive if I do say so myself. Well, and I would also say with uh, with uh, global geopolitical um, uh, situations as they are, my suspicion is that uh, now more than ever, your company 
you use the term bleeding edge in terms of technology. I feel like your company is on the bleeding edge of providing the United States what we need in order to continue to uh, live our lives and protect ourselves in the way that we, we are accustomed to. So super yeah, important. For sure. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll take a moment to, you know, show my patriotism here. Um, making stuff in America, going from serving in the military to um, making stuff in America that gets exported overseas. Um, that's pretty cool. And yeah, yeah. like you say, they're, they're just in the past like six weeks, there's been quite a shakeup in our industry, um, mm -hmm. in the semiconductor industry. What we expect is a lot of onshoring. Um, so for sure. Yeah. So absolutely. That's kind of cool. Um, let me, I got, I got two, I have two questions. When I, when I do these podcasts, I try to listen from, not from Pete Van Epps, Cameron Brooks perspective. I try to listen to the people that are, that are, you know, like they didn't know you, they've never met you. And so I guess the first question I have for you is you describe your, your pilot manufacturing engineer and, and, and we, and we juxtapose that to what you did in the air force with telemetry and, you know, shooting drones down and the things that you said. The first question is like, how in the world does someone with no manufacturing experience, no semiconductor experience, no pilot manufacturing, engineering, no documentation? Well, you actually probably do have add some of that experience. Um, how do you take someone with your background and put them in such a key and critical role? Pilot manufacturing, engineering, bleeding edge technology. How does that happen? So um, I think the key here is um, not being intimidated by technology, not being intimidated. Well, part of it is not being intimidated by technology. Another part of it is um, if you have anyone who's done, you know, technical work in the military or wherever, you've probably developed an attitude or philosophy for how to approach um some things. And even though it's a totally different industry and stuff's a lot different, there's a lot of carryover um, in just your overall problem solving methods. So word yes. to the wise, to the guys, guys and gals who are listening, um, be ready to talk about your problem solving philosophy, because that's, that's what these companies uh, are most interested in. The other stuff you'll, they'll teach it to you, you know, and, um, you'll, they'll, they'll set you up to where you'll teach yourself a lot of it. But, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, the, the key for folks going into these interviews is talk about your problem solving methods. And, well, and what I yeah. tell people, this is so good, Chet, because, because for those of you listening and you're like, well, I'm not going to go for an engineering. Well, that, that is applicable across the board. I know I've told this probably on this podcast more times than I can count, but I have a systems engineering degree from the military academy. I was an, Ar or I'm an army field artillery person, didn't do anything engineering systems at West Point. It's not even overly engineering anyway. It's more process and statistics and modeling than anything else. So regardless, but I went into a medical device sales role, never sold anything, never been in the OR, don't know anything about med devices. And so this is about you. So we're talking about being an engineer in a semiconductor production facility, but the, but the, but the concepts apply across the board, be prepared to, 
talk about your attitude. You talked about your attitude and your problem-solving methodology, which is completely relevant to engineering. But I really do think that it's really com- relevant across the board. You sure. could actually ask the question, why does anyone hire a JMO into an important leadership role? And I think your your answer is completely applicable. My second question, and this is more of a paint the picture for us, because you talked about documentation. You talked about making sure things are squared away. You talked about being on the line, working with the team. But like, bring that to life for us. Help us to see, like, what was a day in a life like? Who? What were you? What did you see? What were you involved in? Like, okay. help paint that for us a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I'll I'll take this as an opportunity to also brag a little bit. It's probably my most Please. interesting yeah. story, but it's also the the one thing I you know am most proud of from uh, from those days. Um, so we were working on a new product. Um, this product uh, was off, going to offer Lamb's customers. I won't talk details, but yep. a significant reduction in cycle time of wafers. Okay, so wafer is the pizza, if you will. Uh, and cycle so, time is what? Cycle time is how long the pizza goes into the oven or how long the, in, in the semiconductor business, it's how long the wafer goes into the chamber. Um, so, okay, so uh, they have this design almost finalized. Um, it comes into the uh, pilot line. And I have to uh, write the procedure for how to build it. Um, and so I, the way you do that when you have a new product is you look at the closest related product. You start with that uh, procedure and you adapt it. Okay. And I thought this was going to be really simple, but because of uh, a key feature that enables this technology, um, they had to redesign one of our one of the coolant pipes that goes in there. And it was less flexible than the previous design, which, me- which completely throws up into the air how the um, procedure, the sequencing of, of uh, steps has to be done. So completely um, up in the air now. So what I, and if we were going to um, use that old procedure um, and use that old method, there, there was basically no other way, there was no good way other than to uh, spend about an hour more on the assembly time, on our, which was supposed to be going on to a lean line. So in other words, we're disrupting uh, our lean line by the tune of an hour which is costs lamb a whole bunch of money. So what a lot of the problem, a lot of people have is this. When I say this takes an hour more to install, if you don't speak manufacturing, you're like, Oh, well, that's just another hour of labor costs. No big deal. No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. What that means is that's an hour of production that's held up and that's a ton of money. So I, when I explained it that way, um, the first thing I did was I said, this takes an hour. We need to redesign it. It's going to, this pipe is going to cost like 20% more. And they were like, 
uh, no, we don't, well, we don't want to, we don't want to redesign it because we're conscious about our costs. We're talking a, a few hundred dollars per build, but, um, so I, I kind of got some resistance when, when I explained it that way. And they, but then I explained it as this is going to disrupt our lean line. This is not just a few hundred dollars that we're talking about. This is way more than that. Uh, orders of magnitude more than that. All the engineers listening, they all know orders of magnitude. <laughs> so anyway, I was, I was ultimately able to persuade the program manager to invest you know, in increasing the uh, component cost, the cost of the design. Um, but that was an, it's a total no brainer because that's going to enable sure. us once to, you explained it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. cool. So anyway, um, that's, that's the kind of thing, you know, you go out on the floor, you see that you, you do your time study, you're trying to validate your sequencing. You find out this thing, you got to take it back, request to redesign. That's the, that's a typical day in the life of a, of a manufacturing engineer. But the thing is, and this is the takeaway for, for those listening, like in the military, what, what, how are you measured? You're measured on readiness. You're measured, you're measured on weapon effectiveness, right? There's a lot of measurements, but notice, notice what was the key driver and what Chaz was describing. Yeah, yeah. it's going to take a couple hundred bucks to do the redesign, but it's going to take a couple thousand or more relative to your order of magnitude. Um, it's going to take a lot, 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 lot more money to do the wrong thing and when, when, the, when the conversation is about that, and I would point everyone to the goal by Eli Goldratt, I know that book was written decades ago, but what he's describing is related to what we're talking about. When it, when it comes to the goal, which is exactly what he's describing, um, people listen and people make decisions and decisions are made. And, and one of the things that I hear military officers talk about all the time is I wanna have a voice. I wanna have an impact on the bottom line of the organization. And, and because the bottom line is about delivering on the goal, you will have a voice. And, and I appreciate what you're describing here, Chad, because, because you've made, you made a decision that, that, that affected the bottom line in a very positive way. And that's pretty cool. Pretty cool to hear about real world. Thanks. I want to, I'm watching the clock a little bit. So I am going to fast forward because we haven't heard this part of the story yet in okay. the, in the Chaz Hoskins saga. So, cause you weren't doing this the last time we met you on episode 82. And so now you're in Ohio. So you and I met in Ohio, in Dayton. Um, you're from California. You took your first job at Lamb in California. Your wife's from Tennessee, but now you're back in Ohio. How did that happen? Yes. So things were, things were going great at Lamb. I, I, I was, I was on the path for promotion. I was, that was what they were, I was being told is uh, they really appreciated my work there. They were treating me really well. They were rewarding yeah. me very well. Um, yeah. I still love, you know, the, the big, the main company. Um, however, uh, Silicon Valley is an extremely um, competitive place to try to, you know, settle down with a family and buy a house and stuff like that. But um, my, so what we, what my wife and I were talking about, my wife is Dana. What Dana and I were talking about was uh, we were having a hard time, you know, shopping for houses, but we both kind of felt like, okay, um, we just came from Ohio. We really liked, we liked, 
living in Dayton near uh, Wright Pat. Um, and while I was at LAM, uh, during one of the all employee meetings, one of the announcements was they were breaking ground on a new factory uh, right outside of Dayton. And I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, we, we just came from there and this great company is there. And so um, my, Dana and I were uh, talking about why don't we, why don't we try to go back to Ohio? You know, we still have friends there. Dana's family is uh, close by They're in Northern Tennessee. So it's, it's uh, not too bad of a drive. We're going down next week, actually. Um, so we're, we're close to them. The cost of living is much more reasonable. I'm still with a great company. Um, they are treating us. I mean, they get it. So it was very easy for me to get the job out here because, uh, okay. So I'll explain what Silfex is. I should probably do that. Silfex so your company is, is Silfex. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. 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 Silfex is, uh, fully owned by lamb though. So we're a division yeah. of of LAM research. What Silfex yeah. does is it supplies uh, the global semiconductor industry with uh, critical high purity silicon components. Um, all, all different, so you have to make a lot of, so first of all, the wafer that um, gets turned into a computer chip uh, begins with some silicon. Uh, but then there's a whole lot of other silicon involved that I, I won't get into because it's way technical, probably make yeah. eyes glaze over. But um, so Silfex machines, so we grow our own crystal. We grow a huge ingot of crystal. That's the term for a big slab of crystal. Um, and then we machine it into these very precise um, components, uh, electrodes and uh, other other items that play a really key part of the process in making computer chips. Um, and so uh, I'm working here now as a quality engineer. Um, one thing that can, if a bad part escapes from this place, uh, just one bad part, um, it can cause millions of dollars in damage uh, to Lamb's customers. So um, my main responsibility is to make sure that doesn't happen. Um, <laughs> they, they like my background though here because they know I understand um, more bigger picture about where this stuff is going. Not a lot of yeah. folks here um, have a, a great grasp on that. Some do, but they just having that experience in the semiconductor industry already uh, made me really appealing to them. So. Because your products are going, are your products now going to LAM? Like, are you sending yeah. the product to LAM where you basically just came from out in California? Yes. So uh, we, so they go to LAM and then LAM, um, LAM has contracts with their customers to maintain and supply, keep, keep right. them supplied with this critical stuff. Gotcha. So it's, it's so ultimately let, let, getting used by the big chip makers. Yeah. So the, the part I want to get into a little bit is, um, so you built a skill set at LAM as a pilot manufacturing engineer. You've got a skill set. You've got an attractive background. You know the industry. So you not only have a skill set in, in, um, 
in manufacturing engineering, but you also know the industry because you've been doing it for a couple of years. And so yeah. when you started interviewing for this, this company, who, which is a lamb company, so you didn't leave lamb, you know, like, who are you? Do you know who? It wasn't a bunch of JMOs, unlike the conference. When you came to the conference, you were interviewing and the, a bunch of other JMOs were interviewing as well. Now you're competing for a job that probably no former military. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there was coincidentally, but really you're competing against other engineers in the industry. How did tell us how that process went for you? Yeah. Uh, so it it went really very smoothly. Um, and, you know, while, while I was interviewing for this current role, uh, I checked in with Rob because I, uh, I remember from the Cameron Brooks program that you guys are willing to, you know, help us brush off the, uh, du- du- what's the, what's the, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, just kind of refresh ourselves on how to do an interview well. Um, and so I, I took advantage of that and I aced my interview. Um, when I, they asked me, and that, that interview went really, really fast. I have a feeling that, uh, yeah, I did, I did well on the interview itself. They asked me how much would I like, and my, uh, Dana and I uh, did, did a quick number crunch and jacked that up by 25%. And they said, oh, sure, no problem. So I should have asked for more, but we're still doing really well. But uh yeah, no, it's, it's great. Yeah. Okay, so let me let me just reiterate what he said to make sure everybody was following along. So he mentioned Rob. That's Rob Davis. Rob Davis is a transition coach here at Cameron Brooks. And as an alumnus of this program, Chaz has the ability to call us at any point for any reason at no cost to him and say, hey, need some career advice, need a little help with interviewing, let's dust off the cobwebs and let's get ready to, to interview again. So when you came to this Rob and he said, my pleasure, let's find some time, give me the job description. I don't, I don't exactly know how it played out for you too, but you, you kicked it around and, and get dusted off the cobweb, so to speak, and, uh, and here you are. And so it's a plug, inadvertent plug, the plug nonetheless, for, for an alumni to, to be a part of Cameron Brooks, not only, in, not only for the conference and the interview and the follow-up interview and all that, but Whenever you need some help, give me a shout, give us a shout, and we're glad to help. And I'm glad you did. I didn't realize that either. Yeah, me I, too. I thought I, you know, I, frankly, I was like, well, you know what, let me call Chad and see what he's up to. But you've, been, okay. you've stayed connected with us, and I'm, and I'm grateful for that because but, that's our hope and that's our intention as you continue to drive your career forward. Um, that we could be a part of it in some way, shape, or form. So tell me what's next now. You've been at Silfex now for two and a half years, a little longer than you were actually at LAM. So you've been out, of, out in corporate America for five plus years now. Where, what's happening in your world? Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm getting really good at this quality engineering thing. Uh, I've, I've developed kind of some, some unique methods that, they that we the my predecessors in the quality engineering uh air in the quality department here um aren't they they haven't really gotten this advanced into it 
Um, and I am using some of my coding background, computer programming background, um, to do a lot of really cool stuff. So I'm, um, I'm very, very deep into my work um, and, and it's very analytical, but it's also, you know, which is not, it's, it's not to say that the soft skills of this job are not important. The soft skills in this mm -hmm. job are extremely important because, um, you know, I don't have any formal, um, I'm not, I don't have any direct reports, um, but, so what that means is I have to be an informal influencer. I'm an informal mm -hmm. leader. Um, I, I consider mm -hmm. myself, I heard a great buzzword uh, six or 12 months ago. It was like the, the leader, it was, it was like somebody, somebody wrote a book called The Leader Without That in their, their Duty Title or something like that, The Leader Without a Title. Yeah. Um, and I, I felt like that kind of describes my mentality here. Um, I'm finding out uh, what our problems are, where we're vulnerable to potentially causing our customers some pain. Um, and then what, with that information, I have to persuade people to act to solve that problem. Um, and I, I always have to go to them with some kind of suggestion or recommendation and um, help them figure, you know, figure out how to actually go about that. And then I have to validate that they had the intended effect. Um, so those, those soft skills are a huge part of this job. That's something that, you know, I'm, I'm really, I need to get better at both of those things. Um, but I, I am doing well. I'm, I think I'm being very effective at it, but um, you're, you, we're, all, all of us in life everywhere are trying to continuously improve, right? Continuous improvement. Yeah. Um, if you guys want to drop that term in your interviews, um, that's a huge term in corporate America. It means a lot to people. And what it means is you're not a perfect person, but you're always trying to get better at stuff and you're, yes. Yes. yeah. So, um, but what's, what's next for me is um, I, I'm interested in uh, be becoming a quality manager or becoming a quality okay. engineering manager um, mm -hmm. eventually, but I'm, I'm going really, really deep into this um, quality business right now, uh, specifically at, at Silfex. And I'm going to, you know, I, I'm monitoring myself and, you know, assessing myself and I'm just skyrocketing, you know, uh, with all the new skills that I'm developing over time. It's, it's pretty fun. So good. Really and when you're it. ready to go for that, me, what's that? Try it again. Okay. Well, it, it's really fun, you know, just feeling yeah. myself grow and knowing that my real estate's going up and there's going to be more opportunities coming my way. Yeah, your skill set is just expanding and expanding. Well, I guess what I was what I was saying is, um, when you're ready to go for that quality manager role or quality engineering manager role, uh, we'll be we'll be here. We'll be ready to uh, right. <laughs> we'll be ready to participate in that. Okay, well, we're gonna land this plane here, Chaz. Once again, it's so good to uh, you know. We really just need to do this every every sixty episodes or eighty episodes or so. Every I guess it's eighty episodes. Uh, you know, we'll catch you on uh, episode 240. There we go. <laughs> and, That's some uh, quick math and, uh, in public. 
Yeah. What's that? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we'll see how it's going and see where you're at. So I remember when you and I met, and Dana was a part of that meeting as well. You brought her to our first meeting when we were uh, when we met first time in Dayton. So please pass along my best to her and your family. Happy holidays. I appreciate you carving out some time with us, and uh, it's good to talk to you again. Yeah, same, same to you, Pete, uh, anytime. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for tuning in and listening to the ongoing saga of Chaz Hoskins. Yeah, I think I'm serious. I think we should have him back uh, in another 80 episodes and uh, check in with him and see where he's at at that point in the game. Our next episode, very excited to feature Mary Lou White. Mary Lou White is one of the founders of Cameron Brooks, and she has been helping military officers move from the military to corporate America for over 40 years. And so excited to, for you to hear her insight, her perspective, fascinating changes that have occurred over the decades, and, and really some of the things that haven't changed. And so I'm excited for one of our year-end episodes to feature Mary Lou. You definitely don't want to miss it. So hang on to that. We'll, uh, we'll launch our next episode in two weeks. Until then, make it a great day.